Blog Talk Radio. situation where somebody starts talking about a topic and you don't agree but their position is so firm and you don't feel you have information other than what you think or your conviction. Our reason for doing the debate tonight is to point out both sides of the topics so that that we have run into regarding hospice, medical decisions, medications, and other related issues. We want to arm you with information so you're not swayed by someone who talks louder or more. Everyone has a right to their opinion and a right to protect themselves and their loved ones. Knowledge is power. The devil is in the details, is an idiom that indicates something may seem simple, but in fact the details are complicated and likely to cause problems. This is very true in regards to hospice or the medical field if you believe everything they say. So we're glad you're hanging out with us this evening. We have a panel to discuss several topics in our Devil's Advocate debate. The viewpoints may or may not be the person's opinion, but you can't have a debate if you don't have opposing views. Each of us may switch views at any point and appear compassionate about our conviction So don't be dismayed thinking you thought we shared your viewpoint. We probably do. We will be throwing out phrases that nurses say to the family to manipulate you into accepting their hastening your loved one's death. But tonight, the truth will be revealed. The only debates off the table are religion and politics. The rules of engagement are if you hear a topic you want to debate, engage. This evening, for this particular program, the chat room has been opened for people if you want to make comments. You have to be on the Internet side for that. However, if you want to call in and join in on the debate, then select one on your phone at any time. Two of the people who participate in the debate will receive an autographed copy of Michelle Young Dewar's book, Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. Michelle is a former hospice respiratory therapist and shares the inside scoop about what hospice really is. We're fortunate tonight. We have Michelle on our panel this evening, so you may want to ask her a question towards the end of the program. Another panel member is Liz Eisner, who is a warrior and the founder of the Facebook group Murdered by Hospice, which she started in 2015 after her husband, Alan, age 58, was murdered on September the 19th, 2015. The group now has over 1,800 people that share their stories in a safe place and they connect with others who understand. 
We are happy to say that several members have found us in time. They've learned the truth before it was too late, and they've been able to save their loved ones. That makes all of us in that group very pleased. Terry Worgan is also on our panel, and she lost her husband, John, on February the 15th of 2017 to medical predators who put him in a coma and knowingly hastened his death. She continues to fight the system and seek knowledge and justice. And our last, but certainly not least, panel member really needs no introduction, Marty Oakley, But I'm going to introduce her anyway because some of you may be new to these podcasts. I'll give you the short version uh, because Marty's quite the character. For over 14 years, Marty Oakley has been a worldwide advocate for the elderly who have been taken advantage of and put under guardianship by the probate system illegally in the eyes of society. She volunteers her time to fight for the underdog, and she researches like crazy. She hosts guardianship programs as well as other topics and provides a forum for other host programs such as Betrayed by Hospice. She does all the work in the background and produces our shows, and she does all of this without any monetary compensation. It's an unpaid, thankless job, but she does it because she cares and wants to give victims a voice and a platform to tell their stories. She has a vast knowledge and can remember so much that she constantly amazes me. She always says what's on her mind, and she pulls no punches. And we don't always agree on everything, but we are respectful of the other person's position. But more than this, she is someone I am honored to call my friend, and she has been helpful to me while I've worked through the loss of both of my parents. So, Marty. Thank you for all you do for the vulnerable population and for me, and I am honored to have you co-host with me tonight and be on the panel. So before we start baiting, I want you to chime in. Well, hello, everybody. Um, I usually try to stay out of Marcia's shows. I tend to want to jump in there and say things, and it's not my forum. It's hers, and um, I just provide the access. But this is this topic tonight. And the form of discussion, we need to look at this from all angles. We need to hear all aspects. And I'm probably going to say some things that are going to light some of you on fire. Um, Whether I actually believe those things or just putting it in there because it's one of the arguments used um, is debatable. So it's just a matter of listen to the arguments. Listen to what's being said and especially the part about what they will tell you as they murder your loved one in hospice because the lies are prolific and they use the same ones over and over and over again and they are murdering people. They are killing people for profit. So keep that in mind. So with that, Marcia, take off. All right. Um, our, well, any of, other, other of our panelists, any one of you like to say anything before we start? I think the one thing that we all have in common, and you and I talked about this the other day, Marcia, is that our experiences going into a hospice situation are completely different. We all have our own stories, but all of the endings of our stories are exactly the same, that our loved ones were killed by dehydration, starvation, and an overdose of a concoction of drugs, of adipine, morphine, fentanyl, and oxycodone. 
So we all exactly. have the same thing in common. Exactly. Liz, do you want to add anything? Well, I'd just like to say thank you, Marcia, and thank you, Marty, for doing these shows. I think it's important that the public realize what's happening. And Absolutely. I think, I think that, you know, by doing so, we spread awareness, we save lives. Right. That's, I have and that's what it's all that. about. Yes, and if it wasn't for these shows that Marcia does, and for mm-hmm. sites like Murdered by Hospice and and you know a few other places there would this there would be a total blackout on this which is where we were at there was nothing out there people were still operating under the premise that hospice was a good samaritan outfit and decades ago they were they were but they have morphed and changed since then and they are the grim reaper and people need to know that it this is not a place for respite it is not a place for end of life care this is just end of life as quickly as they can get you there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And can you talk, tell them real quick about the platforms, Marty? Oh, yeah. We got picked up for syndication, GS Radio Network. So all of these shows now are on, oh, my God, I can't even tell you how many streaming platforms. Uh, we are in several different countries, and we are getting listened to in those countries like Australia, which we already had an audience there, Um, Australia, England, France, Germany, Czechoslovakia, Poland, of all places, Um, Africa. People are tuning into this. And these shows in particular on hospice are catching fire. Uh, This is much-needed information. And apparently, and I've said this for just like guardianship, this is a global effort to call the elderly, the disabled, mentally incapacitated if they even actually are this is a global effort to get rid of them they claim we are overpopulated and the elderly people are using up valuable resources that these younger people need so let's get rid of them Uh, there's also the expense involved after like myself 50 years of paying into medicare and, and social security and now I have to pay a Medicare premium. I don't get anything free. I have to pay a premium every month. I have to make co-payments. Uh, a lot of things are not available to me. This is no different than any other insurance company. And people are operating under the premise that this somehow is a free program. It is far from being free. Way, way far from being free. And in some instances, you would be better off having private insurance than you would Medicare. But wow. they want they want rid of the expense. They have borrowed so much money from Social Security, starting with the Johnson administration funding the Vietnam War. They got into the Social Security Trust Fund. They opened up the trust, and they started siphoning money off of it. Had they left it alone, there would be enough money sitting there today to pay all the benefits for 70, the next 75 years, if not if another dime wasn't invested in it. But they have squandered all that money on everything else, and they have no way to pay it back and never intended to anyway. The only other option is to get rid of the claimants, and they are doing that fast and furiously. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, Michelle, would you like to say something? Sure. I, I, I just might as well start us off, if you don't mind. Okay, that's fine. Um, that's fine. 
I'm going to start on euthanasia. And as anyone knows or has read my book, I'm, I speak out against taking someone else's life against their will or them not knowing what's going on, which is what hospice does and very many other organizations. And that doesn't, my opinion and facts that I've seen do not change. But when it comes to my own choice, there'll be some, there's groups and individuals that would take away my right and my choice to end my life at my choosing. And that's wrong. Just as I fight for the right of others to choose their ending chapter, I don't want someone else choosing my ending chapter. With assisted suicide or euthanasia, whichever way you want to look at it, whether it be passive or an act being an active participant, when it's my time to go, when I feel like it's my time to go, I want to have that choice. Um, there are, I believe there's about nine states now in the United States that offer assisted suicide. And there's other countries, Switzerland, Germany, Japan, I believe, and the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Colombia, Canada. Canada, yeah. Um, that, and most of these people and groups that want to take away my rights, they don't look at it from an ethical or an individual's right. They look at it from a religious basis. And that's forcing someone else's religion on me, I believe. Um, I'm going to leave it with that at that point. In, oh, there's one other thing. I'm sorry. Some will fall on, back on doctors are to do no harm under those that they care for. But which is worse, to leave someone lingering and suffering or to allow them to peacefully exit? You know, there are worse things than dying, and I've seen it. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, To that, I say that the problem, well, twofold, one, I personally feel that hospice is doing that. Now, the difference is with the maid or the medical aid in dying and euthanasia is a doctor would give you, say, a prescription for something that you would take home, and then you would take it whenever you decided to take it at your own leisure, if you will. However, in hospice, they would do it. It would be a slow process. They're not just going to give you a kill shot or, you know, a handful of pills and say, take this and you're going to die. But I believe throughout the country and in every state in the United States that hospice is euthanizing people. With that said, in the Netherlands, there was a situation <clears throat> where an elderly lady had said, 
if I ever get to the point that I have to mention, I don't know who I am and I don't know who you are, she tells her family this, then I don't want to live and I want to be euthanized. Well, the time came where she didn't know everybody and she would have, she would slip in and out of dementia. <coughs> Excuse me. But she would slip in and out and she, they decided that they were going to eliminate her. They gave her a cup of tea with a sedative in it, but the sedative didn't knock her out. When they came to give her an injection, the doctor was there. Her family was around her. She started screaming, I don't want, no, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. They held her down, and they injected her, and she died. So my problem with euthanasia, and I understand what you're saying, but my problem with it is it's a slippery slope. Just like hospice, when it was created in 67, that they said it's to minimize pain for the actively dying. And where we are now is people who have dementia or um, COPD or congestive heart failure, things that can be treated with medication are now being enrolled in hospice. In fact, they encourage people to enroll sooner so that they can have a better life which to me is not true, they're going to have a quicker death. So my problem is I believe it's a slippery slope with you start euthanizing people, somebody else could decide that this person should be euthanized because they're mentally incapacitated or this person has dementia, and then somebody else makes that decision for someone who is not of sound mind and body. Other so you panelists. would take away my right. I'm sorry. <clears throat> No. So you would take away my right because of the evils of someone else? Because of a slippery slope, yes. Yes. We see this constantly. I'm talking apples and oranges here. I think no one would disagree if someone is truly at the end of their life that they can make decisions how they want to die with their own doctor where if they choose to have a death unattended or unmedicated or untreated and die a natural death, or if they're in such excruciating pain that they choose to take medications that put them into a coma and they die a natural death. But the other side, which is what we have experienced, is that, number one, our loved ones were not dying, our loved ones were not terminally ill, The hospital, in my case, made a choice to kill him. Unbeknownst to me, they lied to us. They did what they call stealth euthanasia, in which they made him comfort measures only. They made the decision. We were not part of the decision, and yet John was murdered. So there's a difference between someone who is truly dying and dies in hospice and someone who is not dying and not terminally ill, who was murdered in hospice. Well, many times they create the situation uh, by they'll put someone in hospice thinking they're going to get better care, you know, for whatever's ailing them, and hospice immediately, immediately withdraws food and water. They'll get a doctor, and any doctor anywhere can call futility of care if they've never seen you, never will see you. All they do need is one doctor saying futility of care, and then everything stops. Food and water now determined to be medical treatment, not human necessity. 
the first thing they pull is food and water. And they start creating the conditions to put that person in a compromised situation where they are looking at death, but they are causing it. It isn't coming naturally. They are causing it. And then they begin the drugging. And they withhold all medications that they might need for high blood pressure, diabetes, whatever else. They withhold all of that. So they create the situation. It isn't the person actively dying. They have been put in the situation where they are being forced to die. My issue with all of this is, and we've seen this too many times in these guardianship cases, someone, usually a stranger to the family who's a professional predator, makes the determination, this has gone far enough, we can't get any more money, they're you know, soaking up resources, and they will pull the plug on them, so to speak. And that process is very quick. I want to tell you, this happened to my oldest sister two years ago. Yes, she had dementia. But she had moments when she was herself also. But there were other interests there. And they shoved her into hospice, and four days later, she's dead. One of the things the nurses told the family as they murdered her was, uh, she's forgotten how to swallow No, she didn't forget how to swallow. You drugged her up so bad she couldn't. And But my problem is this. If you want to choose assisted suicide, that's your choice. You make that choice. But no one else should make that choice for you. Yet we have doctors who do it on a daily basis. We have hospice facilities doing it on a daily basis. Someone else outside of you and your family determines that your life is no longer worth living. Who are we to make that determination about someone else? And I don't know too many people who willingly choose to die. There are situations, yes, where they do. But those, I think, are few and far between because as human beings, our drive is to live. Not to die, but to survive. And you've got too many other interests in this where the victim in this is not a concern other than how to get them quickly out of the way. Those are my thoughts. I agree. Okay. And the one other thing I'd like I'd like to add in, Marty, is this is not euthanasia is not just happening in hospitals. It is happening in hospitals yes. around this country because hospitals are being fined for too many readmissions by Medicare. And that's why my husband was killed. He was hospitalized three times in 30 days, not because he was terminally ill, but because they misdiagnosed a gallstone. And then the fourth time, which happened six months later when he was given an overdose of Lasix and went for dehydration, before he left the emergency room that morning, he was made comfort measures only. They decided he was here four times and he is not coming back again. And that's when the plan went into place to kill him. So it's not just hospice and people at end of life that are going through and experiencing euthanasia. It can happen to any one of us anytime. Yes. And that's why we do what we do. Yep. Okay, I'm going to um, move us to the next subject for the HIPAA laws, which stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, And it is a law that is put in place to protect sensitive patient health information from being disclosed 
without the patient's knowledge or their consent. That's what the HIPAA law is in there for. So when you go to the doctor, they ask you to sign a HIPAA law. It is created to protect you, the patient. No, it isn't. No, it's not. It was created to protect the medical industry from lawsuits for mistreatment, maltreatment, misdiagnosis, mistakes, um, drugging, all sorts of things. That's what it's for. It does not protect the patient from anything. Another thing is a doctor could go into your file and make a note within your file. The Supreme Court has said that once they do that, they now own that file. You don't. So you have no control over it anyway. But even did, did this not happen, anyone in the medical industry can access your file at any time. You have no protection. You have no privacy. You have nothing. They sold this to the public as a way to protect them from these terrible people. And it was a sham, like most laws are. It was a sham. It was to protect medical providers from being sued because insurance companies were screaming about the lawsuits uh, because too many errors and mistakes were being made. And this was their protection. It was the Physician Protection Act, not a patient protection. Well, why shouldn't a doctor be able to make notes, uh, put notes in there that you as the patients can't see? Exactly. Because, Marsha, let me tell you, in examining John's medical records, and I'm looking at medical records from three months, and Marty's absolutely correct. This is nothing about the patient's privacy because the patient can't see their own medical records. You can't yep. go into a doctor's office and say, show me my file. It will never happen. So why shouldn't a doctor be able to make a note? Well, a doctor made a note in John's file that he was pregnant. What? Now, I didn't get to see that note. Because I had to go 31 times to try to get those records. And each time I was met with, I'm not sure I can give you that. Or you had to ask for something by the specific name that they called it. And even after going 31 times to try to get his records, I was curious how much I didn't have. So I called the medical records office and I said, I'd like his complete file from those 31 days. And their answer to me was, well, that will be $1,777 before we can send those to you. Which even if I had had, to, had the money or wanted to send the money, I still wouldn't be assured how much of his true file I would get. So nope. it, they it's can't not send about, it to you digitally? Well, you would think that you'd go and say, okay, here's a zip drive, copy it, I'll pay you $100. Right. And, but no. It's a dollar a page. So there's no, if you don't have access to your own records, you can't, number one, make informed decisions about your own health care, and you can't correct mistakes that are in your file or your loved one's file. And you're right. In the narrative of John's records, there was almost nothing that was true. Almost nothing. They had diseases he didn't have. They had procedures he didn't have. They had scenarios that never happened. They had staff contradicting other staff. They had staff contradicting themselves. And four times out of four that he went there, 
they didn't even have the reason why he was in the emergency room, even though his primary care had called ahead and said, I'm sending him in for dehydration. So you should be able to see every single word in your medical records. And if the doctor is going to put something in there... you should be able to you should be able to acquire these records during the time if they're in the hospital or if they're in hospice and you have a question about what's going on you should be able to acquire the records at that time you shouldn't have to wait until your loved one is dead before you see what kind of drugs they're given them so if you're for the listeners if your loved one is in a facility and you believe that they are overdosing them with morphine, Ativan, Haldol, whatever it is, then you go, if you have power of attorney, medical power of attorney, then you go down there and you get the records and you look at during that time and you see exactly what they're giving them, the combination and how much that they're giving them, and you stop it. You do have the right to get that, and if they tell you you don't, then there are other methods to go through to get that with Life Legal Defense Foundation to get them to do what they are supposed to do. You have that right. Okay, ladies, Another? we have got a caller waving waving here, so let's take this real quick and then move on. Area code 443. Okay. Hello? 443? Uh, yes, hi, this is uh, Teresa. I just signed in to... Listen, I'm an I'm a nurse, oh, okay. um, so I'm familiar with a All lot right. of what oh, I'm hearing. Okay. So thank you for what All you're right. doing. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have something to say, just you know, chime in or listen. Either way, would be fine. So, um, okay, I think we've beat that one to death. Anybody else, uh, Liz? You haven't said anything yet. Do you have anything to add, Michelle? On the um, euthanasia. Assisted suicide. Um, I did have a few comments. Um, you know, I'm very sympathetic, but I think it's morally wrong, and I don't think it's health care. And in many cases, it's not pain-free or peaceful. Um, I've read several articles, some published, um, that some of these drugs they use um, can cause choking, burning sensation vomiting um a lot of people it it, it's you don't just go to sleep it's not you know like i said peaceful it can take hours and hours and it's i mean that's like torture and families have to watch um and i was reading one article a doctor wrote he is an expert witness against lethal injection um, for executions in America, he said, I'm quite certain that assisted suicide is not painless or peaceful as dignifi- or dignified. In fact, in the majority of cases, it's very painful death. And I don't think that people understand that, you know, and I think if they knew what could happen, uh, they they may not want to do that. Uh, you know, I'd rather take my chances on a natural death. Um, mm-hmm. They're always experimenting with uh, different cocktails. Um, they haven't suffered. Um, so there's several articles on that subject. 
Um, another one, I'll read this to you. Um, advocates of assistant dying owe a duty to the public to be truthful about the details of killing and dying. People who want to die deserve to know that they may end up drowning, not just falling asleep. So it's just, I think that when we um, allow and legalize medical killings, I mean, we've just opened the Pandora's box. You know, um, for instance, abortion was supposed to be only used for um, when the mother's life was in danger, but now it's birth control. So assisted suicide is only supposed to be for terminally ill, but not for anyone, including children. Uh, Another article in Canada where they're going to allow children to be euthanized without their parents' consent. So this, I mean, it's gone too far. You know, my okay, what article was, is that? What, what, what article uh, is that you're referring to about children and non-consent? Um, I don't remember the title, but I can get it for you. I'll have to look it up. I was reading that today. And that's, um, that was, that was in <laughs> That was no. at the Children's Hospital in Toronto. And uh, they had that was announced last year that they were they had decided they had the right to euthanize children that were terminally ill or they determined to be terminally ill. Uh, we are surrounded. So, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So on, on that with the children, you know, like I said, that they're possibly going to allow kids 12 and older to be euthanized without parental consent. Now, this, you know, it didn't say that if the children were terminally ill, it could be they could be depressed or, you know, having a bad day, and who knows? I mean, it's just gone too far. And there's no protections for vulnerable people. Um, There's no remedy. There's no consequences. I mean, what we do have is a lot of health care savings. You know, it's now being offered instead of health care. So yes. we have basic, basically two choices, hospice or suicide. I mean, it's outrageous. And, and these, this was all brought to us by eugenicists. And their ideas were those that Hitler used. I mean, so we're in the same situation, medical killing. Depopulation. It uses depopulation, and and that word is used by them. That's not my word. They're always Mm -hmm. talking about many people. So it's just, it's out of control. Well, Canada is also going to start in 2023 euthanizing mentally incapacitated people. So they don't get a choice on it. They just make the decision for them. And um, a couple of weeks ago, they had um, a gentleman, uh, Mr. Camus, that was on, and he was talking about because there was someone who was deaf in Canada that they had recommended euthanasia for him because he's deaf. Nothing wrong with him, but they were going to euthanize him. That was the choice that the doctor gave him. Since he's deaf, we can euthanize you. It's a slippery oh slope, and it, it's, you know, to me, it, it 
it's just it's it's the way hospice started and now hospice has gone down and there they say there are gates in it and I will say that you know Oregon now will allow anybody from any state to come to them and be euthanized. You don't have to be a member of uh, of the state of Oregon. And they used to do this in Sweden, and people would go from the U.S., fly over to Sweden, so that they, two sisters did this, so that they could be euthanized over there because it was legal. Well, now Oregon is saying that they will allow anybody to come there and be euthanized. And that's, uh, and the that's way a money-making thing. And that's the way it should be. When it's my time to go at my choosing, I should have that right to make that decision for me, whether you like it or not, whether the other person doesn't like it or not, that's my life. And when it's time for me to go, it's time for me to go. That's well, not yours, but no one has because you're taking away my choice. Let me tell you, but there's no a little bit of ignorance. Go- wait, wait, excuse me. There's a little I'm bit sorry. of ignorance going on here because I'll tell you what. This is near and dear to my heart. As hard as I fight for my patients, I'm also going to fight for myself. If anyone has ever taken an animal to a veterinarian and had them put to sleep, that's how you do people. But it's not. And there is are you no talking suffering. about an injection? Now, hold up. Are you talking about an injection like Dr. Kevorkian did, or are you talking about a doctor gives you a handful of pills and you can either take them or not? Okay, or are you saying either way? Can't the handful, those handful of pills, unless you have the right combination, can be not a good thing. However, a little propofol to someone, and you are right to sleep, never to wake up again. That is the best way to go. If you've ever had um, like an endoscopy done, like a one-day surgery, and you go into that twilight sleep, you've had that propofol, best sleep you'll ever have in your life. Too much of it, it'll be a permanent sleep. And you're just saying you just don't wake up after that. Right. You just don't wake up. Well, Um, there are nine So it can be done safely. Yeah. Go ahead. But there are nine states. I don't think any one of us are saying that you don't have the right to make your own medical decisions. We're saying no one else has the right to make that medical decision for you, especially without consulting you. My husband had no say what was done to his body, and he had no say in his death, and that's what is wrong. And you are dead on. And I I agree with you. If you're I'm sorry. If, if, if you're at a point, you you are entitled to make your own decision, in my opinion. But nobody has the right to make that decision for you. Okay, so um, very we're, right. What you said about your um, husband going in and out of the hospital—too many hospital visits. That's a thing against the patient, physician, and the hospital. The patient's physician doesn't like it, and the hospital doesn't like it. And that, you get flagged. That is, that is a real thing. That is a real thing, yes. And the it hospital be doesn't like thing. being fined for it. Nope. And that's no, they this don't. This hospital has been fined every year since hospice 
or since the, the fines were started under the Affordable Care Act, they've been fined every year for too many readmissions. And somebody said to me, well, that must be a terrible hospital. Well, that hospital was ranked in the top 5% of hospitals in the country. And they still did this. So that's, mm-hmm. it's all about the money. What Marty said in yes, the beginning and Marcia said, it's all about the money. It's not about health care anymore. No. Well, okay, we're, mo- we're moving on. We're moving on. Um, okay, so here's the next thing. You should always, if your doctor tells you that your loved one is dying and they say, well, you know, they've got six months or less and they have uh, comorbidities and they should go into hospice. You know, we're recommending hospice. He has a degree, and you should always listen to your doctor. And so if your doctor says they need to go to hospice, then that should be your next step. Discussion? No. Well, I I think – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mario. Well, uh, just no. Uh, One of the things I have found out, particularly over the last 10 years, is I've joined the senior population. (laughs) Excuse me. The last person I'm going to listen to regarding my health care is a doctor. Um, I have noted many times that if I do go to the doctor, which is rare, my son goes with me. How I am treated with him in the room and how I am treated when he is not in the room are two distinctly different things. Always take someone with you to advocate for you. But it has become increasingly clear as I have aged that my health is of no concern. It's how to get me out of here the quickest. And I have had doctors try to prescribe medications that I'll look up immediately see what the side effects are. They're horrendous. And we see elderly people given buckets of these medications, some of them on 5, 6, 10, 12 medications. This isn't to help you get well. This is to kill you. And these drugs do it a little bit every day. But we cannot depend on the health care system to take care of us because they have no interest in taking care of us. Their interest is how to dispatch us as quickly as possible, get us off the books. That's what it's well, all about. And the, uh, and the other thing, Marty, to that is if you have multiple doctors, multiple doctors are prescribing different drugs. And even though when you go into the doctor's office, they say, well, give me a list of your medication, A lot of people don't have that list with them. You should. But even though they give you that list of medication, they don't necessarily look at that. You know, the receptionist plugs it in. But nobody looks to cross-reference. If you're taking this drug and it does, it, it, you know, causes you to be dizzy or drowsy or nauseous, somebody else is giving you a drug and it has the same effects. And then you have another. I have a neighbor that's on 16 different drugs, and they Almost all of them cause the same type of, you know, dizziness and drowsiness and, you know, irritation and stomach problems. And she's like, you know, I just don't feel good. And I said, if you look at the medication you're on, of course you don't. And she said, well, I give them a list every time I go in. You know, don't they look at it? No, they don't. Some A receptionist keys it in. Nobody sits there and looks at that. Um, my dad was on Eliquis, and I took him to a gastroenterologist because he was having blood in his stool. And the gastroenterologist said, take him off of Eliquis. And I said, but his heart doctor put him on it. He goes, yep, and you're here seeing me now because he's got blood in his stool. 
take him off of it. He doesn't need it. So the doctors can't even agree, and they don't even know what it is that you're taking, and they are loading you up on all of this medication that could be, I mean, you could live off the medication, but it's got to be causing major problems. So, yeah, Again, I don't trust like in my own situation, I don't take anything. I, I have um, chronic asthma and bronchitis, had it all my life. So I have problems associated with that. I take a steroid. helps me breathe. But I don't take anything else. And I just refuse. I will not take those medications. My last visit to the doctor. Well, where's your list of medications you're on? I don't, I'm not on any medications. Well, what are you taking for your high blood pressure? Don't have high blood pressure. Well, what about diabetes? Don't have diabetes. Well, and it's almost like I did something wrong. How do you explain that? I stay away from you people. We we have been, been trained. You. We have been trained to think that these people are speaking with the words of God, and they are not. They are all hooked to corporate offices. I had a doctor here about five, six years ago say, well, they're going to wonder why I didn't prescribe this, this, and this. And I said this because this isn't about whoever they is. It's about me. Mm-hmm. And I said no. And But, see, we've been, we've been trained to shovel this stuff into us and then wonder why we don't feel good and then why our health continues to diminish. And then we end up in places like hospice. We've got hospitals now. Uh, Virginia passed a law here two years ago. You go into the hospital in Virginia and you lose all rights to make your own medical decisions. It's all made by the doctors in the hospital. Every bit of it. You you cannot make your own medical decisions. So you cannot refuse drugs. You cannot refuse surgeries. You can't refuse anything. They make all the decisions and you're just forced to abide by them. And we're seeing this creep across the country. Many of the people who have died, who are dying now in hospice, would have died at the hospital because they were performing this murder in the hospitals on a regular basis. And one of the other things that we have researched and done some shows on, we're going to be doing far more, is the selling of body parts after death. And you wonder, like with people on life support, they'll have people on life support for years. And then suddenly, well, there's no sense in having them. We were going to pull the plug. Because they just found a tissue and blood match for that person on life support. You deprive the internal organs of oxygen for even two minutes, they're worthless. So they artificially keep the body alive till they find a buyer. They harvest the organs. They sell legs, old shoulders with arms, heads. There is no regulation of this industry. They are making money off of the elderly and incapacitated population, even in death. But this is not about, this, I guess is my point to this whole thing, nothing about this is the preservation of life. It is this worship of death. How we can cause it, how can we do it, you do it right in front of you and you don't even know what we're doing. Um, Self. Is, yes, yes. And this killing of people. This is no less murder than if you walked out on the street with a thirty eight and started firing. This is murder. That's right. I don't care what guys you call it under 
or what hat you try to put on and say, well, I'm only doing it because God wanted me to. No, uh uh-uh. You're doing it because you're a killer. And one of the problems I have had throughout all of this is the number of people who will participate in these programs know the pain and misery and death they are causing on a daily basis, go home to their families like nothing happened, get up and go back and do the same thing again the next day. What is wrong with you people? Um, the, The preservation of life and how precious it is, and yet it's treated like a commodity. Like it's, you know, something to be bought and sold. You got enough money, you can live. You don't? Well, see ya. I just, I don't, I don't know what's happened to us as a country or as a civilization that we have devolved to this point where we do not appreciate life. We don't value it. It's what can it provide us, and if it can't provide us anything, let's get rid of it. And that's the way I see it. We've lost our sense of humanity. Uh, in uh, not everybody, yes. but a lot. Um, I want to go back to what you said about um, taking body parts. One of the things that they will do is, you know, somebody comes in, they had a motorcycle accident, and they convince the family they're brain dead. And if the family's not convinced, what they do is an apnea test, and that is not sleep apnea. It's an apnea, and they close, take off their oxygen so that they don't get any oxygen to the brain for several minutes. And then the brain waves will indicate there is no, there are no brain waves, and that they can tell the family, see, look, their brain's not even functioning. And Dr. Paul Burns was in on surgery of somebody taking a body part, and the guy had tears running down his face, and he said, you know, and he is, he's been on my show a couple of times, and he says they do feel pain, and you cannot take body parts from a cadaver that person has to be alive for you to take their body parts and so they're yes. convincing the families and they're they're tallying like marty says they're tallying these up well you know i've got a kidney here i've got a liver here you know i've got eyes here i've got you know they're tallying up the body parts and your body is worth more money by them selling off all of your individual body parts and i know that sounds gross but that is the reality and people well, and need it, to recognize that. It's why they will never stop abortion. Um, they'll they'll squeak all around it, but they will never stop abortion. And it isn't for any particular belief. It's because there is a massive underground trade in those body parts from babies. If you remember that doctor that got busted, I think it was in Michigan, um, the clinic, I guess, was just a horror house, and they found jars with baby feet in it, baby heads and everything. There is no regulation of this. You can ship body parts all over the country. You don't need a special permit or anything. There is no regulation of this industry. But the same people that are passing these laws are invested in these same companies that are making tons of money off of selling body parts. Mm-hmm. And like I say, you get a whole aborted fetus it's worth a fortune it's worth a fortune and the same with people who die at any age but most particularly the elderly they parcel out the bodies they sell it to universities research centers the u.s government labs they sell it all over the place again no regulation none um they recently had a shipment in kansas city 
at the airport that they set off to the side because something was leaking out of this container, and when they opened it up, here were 12 heads in it. Nobody got fined or anything else except for not having proper containment. But there's no law against this. But they have figured out how to make money off of us, even in death. And it, it scares me, the undercurrent that's running in this country that is centered around killing and death and ridding the population of people they consider undesirable. And I, I don't know where we go from here. I truly don't. I truly do well, not. Well, you don't feel safe. I, you, don't, you don't feel no. safe. Mm-mm. No. Well, they also took, were taken, and this is gross, but they took baby scalps and put them on rats to see if the rats would grow long hair. Now, yeah. why would you do that? Why would you do yeah. something that sick and inhumane? Right. It's, it's disgusting, and, and this is humanity. And, yeah. um, Michelle, we were talking earlier today, I think, about the different sides, you know, the logical side. Mm-hmm. Can you touch on that? Oh, right. Um, we have three points of, uh, that gives us a real good insight and clue as to our surroundings, and that would be the logical brain and our heart, which is associated with feeling, although feelings and the heart have nothing to do with each other, but that's as a society how we, you know, our feeling goes with our heart, and then our gut instincts. And when we listen to these healthcare providers, and as a side note, I'd like to just tag on to what Marty was talking about with uh, doctors and hospitals, just as a, sorry, take a little diversion. Doctors, uh, you know, most people, I believe, think of doctors as having their own practice, that they own their business, and that they're the boss of their business. They're not. The bosses of physicians are insurance companies, are the hospitals. That's who the physician works for. The hospitalist works for the hospital. You're a private physician in his own little office somewhere, do you know what dictates to him? The insurance company. What, what medication you get, how often you should be seen, that flu shot. You know, he gets a, a special little dividend from the insurance companies if you get those vaccines. I'll leave that. I'll, oh, I'll set that one to the side for the moment. Uh, so when our uh, health care providers come to us, and ask us to do something, we have a warm, fuzzy feeling about the doctor that we've been with for all these years that he won't let anything happen to us because we're friends. He takes care of me. No, he sees you because you're paying your co-payment. And then he's going to do what his bosses tell him he has to do with you. And at that point, whether it's in the hospital, whether it's at hospice, if your gut is telling you something, that is what you need to listen to. And, of course, our logical brain is going to kick in and say, but they're a doctor, they have this degree, they have this standing in the community, we should listen. But what's your gut telling you? Your gut's not going to be wrong. If that gut has been developing for millions of years, thousands of years that we've walked to this earth, that gut has been an instinct 
growing, and it serves you well to listen to it. I wish I would listen to mine more, <laughs> to be honest, um, but particularly um, when it comes to providers. And I'm not saying be silly about the advice, but I'm, I'm also saying take it and evaluate it, see if it fits what you want for your life and your family member and your loved one, not just blindly accept what's being said. Is, is, is that what you were asking? Uh, I was, I was, yes. Because, you know, we are trained to listen to our doctors. Marsha, can I add one more thing onto what she just said so wonderfully? We grow up with our doctors. I've had my primary care for 30 years. I've had my cardiologist for 27 years. Back when the Affordable Care Act started, there was a big debate about keeping your own doctors. Well, yes, I can go to my primary care for the flu, and I can go to the cardiologist for my stress tests and checkup. But if you enter the hospital through the emergency room, your doctors have absolutely no say and no input into your care. If you have a heart attack and are rushed into the emergency room, you will have a cardiologist that never laid eyes on you before. And that's what people don't understand until it happens to them. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he has no control. Well, the other, right. The other thing is, as you list off and they say, you know, what are your symptoms? They are punching those system, symptoms into a program provided either by the hospital and or insurance company. What this program does is it tracks all of your claimed symptoms and then it spits out every possible diagnosis that could be applied to those symptoms. The second thing that comes out is every possible medication that can be prescribed. And for each of these things, it gives a profit margin. At the end of this, what you get is a computer-generated model of what they think might be wrong with you, but they don't know because they didn't really check. But they have, they're committed to a 20% profit margin, and this is what this program does. It secures that profit margin. This is not about your health. This is about profits. And, uh, you know, we caution people all the time on the guardianship shows. You go to the doctor. They hand you a piece of paper say, fill this out. And you look at it, and here it says, have you felt depressed one, two, three, four days a week? Have you felt like killing yourself? Do you ever think that, you know, don't answer these questions. Hand the paper back to them and tell them that's not what I'm here for. They'll try everything to get you to answer those questions. It will give you a numerical value at the bottom of the page. That numerical value is tied to medications that they intend to profit from, whether you need them or not. The other thing is you go in the hospital on admission. They always have that computer monitor so that the back is to you. You cannot see it. They'll say, just sign your name on that little thing out there. And, you know, it's electronic and it's just a standard admission form. Well, fine, if it's just standard, print me off a copy and let me read it. <laughs> because it's anything but That's standard. Right. right. It, and and there is sign anything. Yes. Yeah. You and could never sign you, well, anything without reading it. Exactly. And they'll say, well, it's just a standard. Well, then there should be no problem. you got that big printer sitting up there. Cut me off a copy. I'll sign that. What you'll find it says is that you forfeit all rights to make any medical decisions. 
that they can use, and I always have a standard statement, no vaccines of any kind whatsoever for any reason. They will have the word biologics in there. That's vaccines and other experimental crap. They put you up for blood research. Um, They can do anything to you they want to. Do not blindly sign that statement. Make them print it off, cross out what you do not agree with, initial it, and then at the bottom where it says signature. That is a corporate contract term, the word signature. Look it up. Words have meanings. Cross that out. Put autograph. That means I agree to nothing. I just acknowledge that I read this paper. (coughs) But all of this is a trap. All of it is designed to trap you and make money off of you, regardless of what your health needs might be. Um, I think we are in more danger, is my personal thoughts, from the medical industry than from any other possible threat. Um, people say, oh, you know, what about foreign terrorists? The, foreign, the terrorists are right here. They're right here. Many right. of them are wearing a white coat. And um, you cannot trust these people any longer. They are not the cream of the crop, so to speak. These are people that got into it because it's profitable. They don't care about your health. Mm-hmm. They don't care what these medications do to you. They don't care what hospice is going to do to you. And they will stand by mm-hmm. there at the hospital and watch them kill you. And, you know, one hospital there in Virginia admitted they've been doing this forever. That they've just decided that people, it wasn't worth the expense and they were going to die anyway, so let's just help them on out of here. They all do it. You are not safe in that environment. That is my opinion. You are not safe at any age within the medical industry. You are not safe. These are the people that will hurt you and who can hurt you and will hurt you if there's money involved. If you've seen these clinics that say, you know, 100% vaccination rates, and if you're not vaccinated, you can't come here, you think it's because the doctor believes vaccines are safe? No. It's because he gets 40 plus thousand a year for having all of his patients vaccinated. Mm -hmm. A little bonus. And... Mm -hmm. You know, you see all this stuff going on. This is a mercenary business, and they they are no longer. I mean, look at the current condition we're in now with this fake COVID stuff. Um, they haven't produced any virus. They can't produce because one doesn't exist. And yet they convinced the globe that this pandemic that never happened was happening. What we think is really happening is the testing of what's called directed energy weapons do produces the same physical manifestations and there is no regulation again on these corporations have them individuals have them several agency in the government have them and there's no regulation on what they can do with them but they can wreak havoc on your life there is so much going on we we have got to rely on each other We have got to watch out for each other, try to protect each other, because the people we always thought were going to do this have been exposed for being anything but our protectors. They they don't care. Uh, One of the things that you know that is the epitome of this is chemotherapy. Chemotherapy kills more than 20 million people every couple of years. The chemotherapy does. Where the logic is in injecting the body with these toxins and poisons to the point that your hair jumps off your head, you're vomiting up your stomach, 
This stuff is eating holes in your lungs and your stomach and your intestines. You're bleeding to death. Well, we cured the cancer. Well, I guess you did. They're dead. And, But it kills more people than the cancer does. If you survived chemo, you could have survived the cancer. To but that, stuff, let me... Let me just say to, to the listeners, there is, and Marty, this is the thing that you turned me on to, and I've got it up on my computer right now. It's called Pharma Death, D-E-A-T-H, Death Clock. Look it up, what she's telling you, PharmaDeathClock.com, and you will be shocked. Okay, go ahead. I just wanted to tell them that. Well, and that's that's the thing. They are tracking this. Um, go back to HIPAA, why HIPAA is actually about protecting the medical industry. Look at the number of people who die every year from doctor mistakes, people who die of malnourishment in the hospital, people who die from hospital-acquired infections, people who die from chemotherapy, from various drugs that are on the market. Um, it, it's just... A, it's astronomical. We lose about 2 million people a year to mistakes, intentional or otherwise, made by the medical industry. How bad does this have to get before we stop it? And then on the other end, we got hospice. In case you made it through that maze, we'll put you in hospice and finish you off there. I just, I, I still hold, I've been researching this for three years now, the scientific community is saying there are two, at least two, if not three, distinct species of human being. Uh, People with RH negative seem to be in a category by themselves. But what difference, as one lady said to me, what difference would that make even if there was? Well, liken it to the difference between wolves and domestic dogs. Wolves will pack up and kill you just for the sport. A domestic dog will love you to death. There's a difference in personality. There is a per- difference in empathy and sympathy and human emotion. And these people, I think, are being pulled out of the population mm-hmm. and somehow identified. And they're being used to work in hospice, to perform all sorts of grisly tasks because it doesn't bother them. They're mm-hmm. natural-born predators. I believe that. I truly well, believe I, that. And, and I I'll believe that's what that COVID... And I believe that's yeah. what that COVID vaccine is all about. They're targeting yeah. a specific genetic DNA pattern because we're not all the same. There's a six. No. I believe there's six. If you go back 70,000, 100,000 years ago, there were six distinct different types of beings. And then mm-hmm. over the years, we've just merged, come together, and they're targeting certain types. And that, yes, yes. yes. I, I mean, people will just hear us and think we're crazy, but you go out and do the research, and I mean legitimate research, and read what's the that papers. Book? You can go to, Michelle, what's you can that go book? You've got to send me the name of that book, but what's that book that says all that? One of the books. There, uh, one of the books is uh, Sapiens. Oh, God, Michelle. I got that book. Honest to God, it'll, it'll make your hair stand on end. I'm not even all the way through it. It is a very um, wordy book. I open But those words are... Yes, it is. Yes. Yes. It, it absolutely will scare the bejesus out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, i got to mm-hmm. get that. It, it, yeah, you need to read that. You need to read that. What was the name of the book? 
Can you repeat the name of the book? S-A-P-H-I-E-N-S. I believe it is. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's terrifying in its content. It really is. And, um, but yeah, I believe that. Too. I'm sorry. There's no. Uh, it's S A P I E N S. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's how I wrote it can the first I, can time. I, I was rewriting it. Can, can I back up and add one more thing into the COVID situation, which Marcia yes. knows I'm chomping on this one. <laughs> I had yes. a personal experience in June that I awoke in the middle of the night and could not catch my breath. And I waited for three hours till I called the ambulance till I finally faced the fact that if I didn't call them, I was going to die. So the ambulance comes and picks me up and takes me to the emergency room. And, of course, the first thing they do is a COVID test, understandably so, because I was gasping for air. In my file, there is a form that says, Ask the questions, any symptoms of COVID? Yes, shortness of breath. Hospitalized for COVID? Yes. Three minutes later, the results of my COVID test come in and they were negative. Yet in my record, it says that I was hospitalized for COVID. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. six months, I've been and trying be- to get that out of my record, and they can't even tell me who filled out that form. Yeah. So I, I, was at the- I can't go back to anyone and say that's a mistake. I was in so the emergency room the twice twice in May, and the first time the doctor was very nice. Second time I get the world-class jackass, and he came in and he said, the first thing we're going to do is get a COVID swab. I said, no, you're not. He said, what? I said, no, you're not going to pull that fake COVID crap on me. He got mad, <laughs> and... I had reported that I have chronic asthma and bronchitis all my life. It's nowhere in my file. Nowhere is it mentioned. And he um, sent a like a lab worker in about 45 minutes later because once I wouldn't let them do the COVID trick on me, I wasn't going to get treated for anything. She comes in. She's carrying a long swab in her one hand, got it cupped down at her side, and a vial, which is the vaccine. And I said, what's that swab for? She said, we're going to swab you for influenza A. I said, no, you're not. And she said, what? I said, no, you are not. And I said, the CDC isn't collecting flu stats. They've retagged everything COVID. I said, you must think I'm stupid. And she goes, well, we're going to swab. I said, no, you are not. And she just looked at me. She stormed out of the room. I said, take that out there and you use it. The PCR tests they're using cannot locate a virus. It isn't intended for that. The man who invented it even said, this can't do anything. Can't give you a positive right. or a negative. Mm-hmm. And, of course, after making that YouTube video on that, he was dead three days later. And mm-hmm. but so, and like I say, they've never identified any such virus. And... There isn't one, and I agree, but like what you're talking about, waking up breathless, the same thing happened to me two and a half months ago. I was cooking around here and cleaning house, doing dishes. I was fine, and all of a sudden, it was like something slammed into my body, and I went down, and I haven't been able to get all the way up since. Compromised breathing. Um, 
just just to the point where I get scared at times. Um, fatigue, brain fog, uh, my body shakes. Um, uh, the other thing was panic attacks. I don't have panic attacks. And I started having panic attacks, severe. And this would come and go, come and go, come and go. I tried to tell them this at the hospital, and they absolutely would not listen to me. And I said, now I know how you people are doing things. I said, if I read my file and it says COVID in there anywhere, I'll sue you. Because now if you go in and you have chronic bronchitis, you have COVID bronchitis. And if you have chronic asthma, you have COVID asthma. And if you stub your toe, you have COVID toe. And they're putting that there is money attached to that label. It's their only concern, and that's what I told them at the hospital. You're going to have to make your money somewhere else. You're not going to make it on me. And, you know, I've I've watched the last year. I'm always watching and observing. I read voraciously everything I can get my hands on. I had one doctor said to me, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. I said, yes. I said, I go to all those big conspiracy websites, the CDC, the FDA, Health and Human Services. Yeah, I hit them all. Mm -hmm. And he got mad. And uh, I said, you want conspiracies? Go read those sites. You'll be as load of crap you'll run into. I brought up... I figured he had tagged you. Yeah. And uh, they kept asking me... that way. Yeah. Who who was I? Who was I? Who are you? Who are you? Don't worry about who I am. Uh, Well, who are you? Who are you? Well, Marty. And (laughs) I got tickled at that, too. These people can be so obnoxious. (laughs) <laughs> when they were checking me in, the lady said, I need your full name. I said, Marty, M-A-R-T-I. And she went, ah. I said, I need your full name. I said, okay, for people in the cheap seats, M-A-R-T-I. <laughs> I don't want your nickname. I said, that is my name, heifer. And she said, do you have a driver's license? I said, yes. Do they allow you to drive? And pulled my license out. She goes, well, I never heard of a name like that. I said, well, what do, we, what do you want me to do there? But Jeez. The, yeah, the reception in these places and the the attitude that somehow they have a right to do these things um, with my sister going back to her, that they said she needs to be in hospice, and there was no discussion. They said it. That's the way it was. Like I say four days later, she's dead. She wasn't dead four days ago, not even close to it. She had dementia. Mm -hmm. It was May, and she thought it was Christmas. Big whoop. But that doesn't mean you should die. That doesn't mean that that your life is over. And it shouldn't, but they want rid of us. They want rid of us. And the people willing to participate in this... I don't get it. It's just like we talked about organ harvesting. We talk about executing people. Organ harvesting is exactly the same method. Propanol to paralyze them so that they can't cry out, move, or do anything. People say, oh, lethal execution, you know, they don't even feel any pain. Oh, yeah, they feel pain. They just can't do anything about it. Then they well, poison them and not go. That's what yes. Ativan and Seroquel and Haldol, 
they're getting them to the point and the, the morphine that they can't cry out. It's not that they don't feel right. anything. So, hey, we they have can't. a caller on the line. She said she's in the host queue. Do okay, you see hang somebody on, on here? Yeah, hang on a second here, here. Area code 651. Hello? Yes. Hi, this is Kimberly. Good evening. Hi, Kimberly. Hi. Hi, Kimberly. Hello, everyone. Thank you, ladies. It's been a wonderful program. My question is about health care directives. My mother was murdered um, in 2020 in a hospice in St. Paul. I had been her um, POA and her health care agent since 2015. Um, Long story short, she ended up in the Sorific Hospice. The night of the admission to the hospice, um, they wanted to load her up with meds, and I said, absolutely not. Even my mother said, I don't want these. The next day, I was confronted by um, the nursing supervisor, the medical director, and um, another staff member, I can't remember, the social worker, and was told that I was interfering, um, that I was, you know, causing issues. They threatened to discharge my mother. They apparently brought in a neighbor who had been emotionally uh, abusing my mother and had had really stolen all of her money. Um, They claimed that I had to leave. They threatened to arrest me. They brought a sheriff in. Um, to this day, after obtaining her medical records after she died, which took, was a very long process, um, I cannot find this health care directive that my mother said she was coerced into signing. It's not in her medical records. My question wow. uh, to the panel is, guess what, how do I go about this? I, I personally feel my gut feeling it's, it's a lie. They manipulated me to get me out of there. They lied to my mother and coerced her into saying that she signed something when she didn't because she wasn't obviously you know, medicated out of her mind. Right. Do you have the medical well, records? I do. I have some of them. I, I, I can't say 100% that they're accurate. Of course, Marcia, as you and I had, had discussed on Facebook, um, I was demonized in, in the medical records. I did everything wrong. My mother was against me. She hated me. She said that I, I wanted her to live and suffer and, and, and not die a peaceful death. I mean, anything you can imagine, all the, the gaslighting and scapegoating was, was in, uh, in her medical records about myself. And... Um, I, I have some. I can't guarantee that it's 100%. Um, <clears throat> one of the um, the, the um, plan of cares that I asked for when she was admitted on January 7th um, is missing um, allergies, which they later documented in her, in her medical records. They gave her medications three times that she was allergic to, which I'm more than certain put her into an anaphylactic reaction and, of course, with all the meds, put her into a coma. Wow. Wow. And I'm the so thing is, sorry. these people have no no compunction about doing this. No, and if you're they, right. What they did was was right, and you know the right thing to do. Why are you hiding from it? Um, exactly. The fact that they are withholding and hiding and everything uh, and lying tells you that they knew what they were doing was wrong. Exactly. So what was their actually motive for doing it? That's exactly. what you need to figure out. What was well, their motive? Yeah, exactly. Well, my mother, um, I know was, at least I thought was comfortable. <laughs> um, you know, um, my father died suddenly. Um, you know, there was definitely money in the family that my dad had provided for for her and for I if anything were to happen. Suddenly, after her death, her her bank account was zero. So whoever 
you know, talked her into this. I don't, it's, it's a complex story, but um, I, I feel that there was a motivating factor. Um, later, as I was doing some digging, I found that um, uh, a family member and this uh, uh, neighbor who opposed, supposedly was the health, my mother's health care agent um, uh, also had given and donated money in my mother's memory. I've asked what the dollar amount was. They refused to tell me. They tell me it's proprietary information. I have no right to know what the donation was. My personal gut <laughs> feeling, ladies, that was my mother and my father's money that went to that hospital. Yes. Blood money. Well, did she? Did your mother have a will? She did. Okay. So did, did he this, get a copy of the will? I have a copy of the will. Yes. Okay. Did so this, what does the this, will say? The will says everything is left to me. Um, either the will was drafted and there's nothing. Did this, did this go into probate? It did, and I. I there, there's your problem right there. Uh, that probate um, judge can discard any standing legal instruments, uh, any estate plans, anything. They can throw them aside and give everything to the attorney and the guardian. And about that. that's who acts, now presents themselves as her because she loses her legal agency and legal capacity, which means the right to her own name and to conduct her own business. That's all taken from her. And the guardian mm. now presents themselves as her and accesses all of her accounts and everything. And um, one of the other things I wanted to warn about, we are finding out that many hospitals, of course, all of them, I guess, today have um, attorneys and guardians on staff. Mm. And you can be in the hospital and they will come in and say, oh, this is Dr. So-and-so we brought in to advise Attorneys can now present themselves as doctor. It's legal. Wow. Wow. And they are there to assess the situation and how to quickly do whatever they're going to do to you. So if somebody new is brought in, you know, we brought them in, you know, just so, you know, well, what are you a doctor of? Where are your offices? Mm-hmm. And they won't, they won't tell you that they are actually an attorney representing the hospital looking to make a buck. But probate, of course, is the door opener. It becomes active only upon presentation of a death certificate. And the de facto death certificate is the guardianship. And once that is established, they discard everything. Everything. All arrangements you made beforehand, you know, to plan for this situation. Just in case. And they discard every bit of it. Wouldn't she have had to have had a guardian assigned to her while she was still alive? Oh, yeah. And see, the guardianship is that somebody was named guardian. And um, uh, the, the guardianship is supposed to end immediately upon physical death. Correct. But they, they already declared her dead when they gave the guardianship. Um they already said she's she's no longer existing. Um, you do not exist within. It's a civil death. You do not exist within the law or under the law, okay. and you you lose everything. You are simply taking up space. And we see people in these situations referred to as merchandise and units. They are a commodity yeah. to be bought, sold, exactly. and traded. Yep. Well, and, you know, and of course. HIPAA laws are making it even harder for the daughter to get legitimate information yes. about her own mother's care and her own mother's mm-hmm. death. 
Because exactly. the daughter can't violate the because mother's the patient, privacy. Wait a minute. The privacy they're actually protecting at that point is the guardian who has assumed oh, that identity. Yeah. It's the guardian, not your That's mother. Exactly it's the right. guardian. And, and yep. here's the interesting part is that in order to obtain her medical records, I tried to get them as just, you know, as her daughter. And I was told, no, you can't do that in the state of Minnesota. So I went to court. I petitioned the court and asked to be appointed a personal attorney or personal attorney, excuse me, a personal representative, which, of course, the right. judge did approve. And that's when I started uh-huh. to un- uncover things and find things. But, you know, the tragedy of this is just that, you know, briefly, my mother had suffered a very serious and, and, and lifelong debilitating post-operative injury after a very simple procedure, a, a pacer implant. She, she never, mm-hmm. ever really regained. And she was very clear and, and told every provider she ever saw. So again, you know, it's easier just to shuffle her off and, and euthanize her. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and to cover their tracks. Yes. And uh, is, what part of Minnesota are you in? Um, I'm in the Twin Cities, in the in the metro yeah, area. I was, yeah, I lived about 75 miles west from there for about 30 years. I just oh, moved great. back here to Georgia about a year and a half ago. And, okay. um Yeah, I lived out in a little burg called Watkins. And, um, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah and, uh, but it's, um, this whole thing is, this is organized crime. Everything from it the is. guardianships through hospice. Mm-hmm. It is organized crime. And the worst part of it is it's all funded by government, by these very people we elected to represent us, have put these laws and allowed statutes and regulations and codes. Something you want to look up is, for your state, commission codes. Look that Uh, up. There's an eye-opener. And uh, most people don't know about them. And uh, But look up commission codes. But like hospice, you can't even sue hospice. Even when you can no. show they intentionally murdered someone, yes, preemptively took their out. life. Yes, yeah, you can't sue them. You can't sue their good Samaritans. Uh huh. They're good grim reapers. Yeah, that's and, very um, true. I call well, them I call them murder brokers. But I guess my yeah. point isn't back to you know when I called Medicare to ask for you know I wanted copies of EOBs you know explanation of benefits and they're like, no no we can't mail them to you we have to mail them to your mother's last residence. I said her residence is the cemetery. I am now yeah. her personal representative. Mail them to me, and they wouldn't I, do it. Yep. No, and the only person they will mail them to is the guardian. And. um that's who took over her Social Security, made themselves the assigned payee. Um, we have uh, these, and in one of the companies up there in Minnesota that you want to watch out for is First Fiduciary. Um, mm-hmm. They list all of their so-called clients as associates. and hmm. um, But it's all the people that they are. That's a, I don't know if you're familiar with Joanna Bagalas from up there. She took her mother, Marie, and fled to Greece. They had dual citizenship, mother originally from Greece. She Uh lives in Greece now with her mother. And they have continued to collect her Social Security, claim $3,500 a month in medical expenses. She isn't even there. And they're getting away with it. And they do this numerous times over and over. (laughs) But... One of the companies you also need to keep an eye out for is ICOR, capital I-K-O-R, all capital letters. This Mm -hmm. is an international corporation, and what they do is sell 
uh, franchises on guardianships and conservatorships, and their tagline is fast, easy, consistent money. Mm-hmm. And they they set up these programs globally. We we are dealing with it globally. But what we have in place is this whole global system of not only getting rid of the elderly, but relieving them of anything they had before you get them. Once you've got That's everything true. they got, they just serendipitously die. Exactly. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, so I'll be quiet, Marcia. One thing you you were saying about the um, you know hiring an attorney. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that we have found um, on in our group page, the Murder by Hospice, is people will come on and it's kind of disparaging in a way, but you know they're trying to be nice. But they will say if all of you had this bad experience, then why aren't you getting an attorney for this? And you're absolutely right. You cannot get an attorney. And those of us, I mean, everybody on this phone that I'm I'm aware, I know that Liz and um, Terry and myself and many others went to get an attorney. We talked to one attorney right after the next. We filed charges. We went to the police department. We went to the medical director of hospice. We checked all those boxes. I finally had one attorney tell me, after I talked to about a dozen, he said, well, it sounds like you've talked to lots of attorneys. Would you like to know why they won't take your case? Because everyone said, you know, I understand. I'm really sorry and, you know, continue to try to find an attorney. And finally, the one said, because hospice has big pockets, they have mass mutual insurance, they do not settle out of court, and there is not enough money for any attorney to take your case because you would have to bring in all these witnesses. They're going to admit to nothing. You cannot sue hospice. So for people that say that to us in the group, it's rather insulting because don't you think we're smart enough to have thought of this before? (laughs) You know, we didn't need you to tell us this. We have all thought of that. And you can't do a class action suit because all of these hospices are owned by different corporations, and some of them are privately owned. It doesn't make any difference if they're profit or nonprofit. They still euthanize innocent victims. Right. And another yeah, and reason that's attorneys the here with Oh, go ahead. Terry. Oh, sorry. That the hospice. I I when I I had really no experience with hospice and I I didn't even know John was in hospice till after he died. But I just thought hospice was hospice. I didn't realize that here at Cape on the Cape there are 10 different hospices. That you can go and choose a hospice. But the hospice that took over John's care was part of a hospital monopoly. Mm-hmm. So it's just all in one. Wheel them out of the hospital, right into hospice, and bingo. The other thing that was interesting to me was they they left this brochure on the counter to call when he died. I didn't know it was hospice. I didn't know she was a hospice nurse. I thought she was from the VNA. And when I called, I thought it was kind of odd because usually a policeman comes. And there was an experience that John was actually assaulted in between the time he left the hospital and got home. He had a gold tooth, and that tooth was just out. Between the time I left and the time he was left home, and the lawyer did say to me, go to the police. And I went to the police. They took the report, inspector, um, 
called me to set up an appointment 15 minutes before that appointment. I got a phone call from that police officer canceling the appointment because he had something more important to do. And I'm six years later, and I still have not spoken to that officer. So I know somebody at the hospital or hospice shut up the police. Absolutely. That's part of our problem, too. It's the lawyers and law enforcement don't want to get involved in that. Well, the other thing, too, with lawyers... Uh, we've seen this happen numerous times. You get one that's on the up and up and will take your case. The local bar association will turn on them like a pack of pit vipers. They will mm-hmm. put out false articles about them. They'll destroy their careers, ruin their business. They claim they jerk their license. There isn't any such license. They have a bar union dues card. They don't have any such license to practice law. There is no such thing. And but they will absolutely destroy these people because 60% of all the money made by law firms across the country comes from doing guardianship, conservatorship, and, of course, the extension to hospice. Um, Mm -hmm. They're making their money this way. It's how they're paying their bills. And they will not, you cannot, it's career suicide to go up against them. And um, so you can't get one to, and they know what they're up against. They know what would happen to them if they took your case. It's not that they don't agree with you and think you're right and that you have a case. It's just they know what would happen to them personally should they take it up. And we have seen this happen to many of them. Um, You know, when you say, well, not all attorneys are bad. No, they aren't. But the ones that aren't bad have been drummed out of business. So I I talked with 12 attorneys and, and pretty much got the same response. We'd love to help you, Kimberly. I've been told hospice is a cash cow. I've been told, yes, they killed your mother. Yes, you have a valid case. But unfortunately, you know, you're not going to get justice. Right. And we're not going to take your case. Exactly. And I understand that. And it's it's very egregious to hear that. But unfortunately, that is the reality of it. But back, if I could just quickly, I appreciate your patience with my question. This health care directive, if it exists, if it exists, wouldn't it have been by law, by Minnesota state law, wouldn't it have been required to be included in her medical records? Yes. Yes. I don't think, from the sounds of it, one of two things. Either it, of course, was the fraud, you know that it is, and they removed it, or it never existed to begin with. They only said it did. And um, probably they're savvy enough to just say it existed. Um, But the other thing you can do is go back to probate and find out if that your healthcare directive was discarded, which I can assure you it was, and what it was replaced with. That has to be on file. Yeah. They kept they kept the original will. Was your mother Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Was your mother declared incompetent? No. Never. She was alert. So then that healthcare proxy would not have been invoked. Two doctors have to invoke a healthcare proxy and there has to be a written copy given to you and put in her file. That's at least Massachusetts law. I assume that was law everywhere. But um, And that's with Sean. His health care proxy was never invoked, so technically I had no right to sign anything um, for him, but uh, they didn't care. Now, Terry, you know that they easily, a doctor or a nurse, can sign for the patient and mm-hmm. say that the patient said this. 
or the patient agreed to this and they can sign their name. The nurse will sign off on whatever they want to do. The patient nodded. The patient said this was okay, and they signed for the patient. So, I mean, either way, they seem to have all of their T's crossed and their I's dotted. And unless, you know, what you're doing, you know, Terry in your case and Kimberly in yours, you know, you're challenging them. I was. Yeah, you're challenging them, right, and so has Terry. But, it, you know, you keep hitting brick walls. And I think that's, you know, that's the point that Marty's making. They probably did not have a legal document that said that, but they got you to back off by saying that they did. Yeah. Right, Marty? Yeah. Yes, and um, <laughs> when you get into these cases, especially when you get down to the point where they've shoved them in the hospice and they're going to finish it off, yeah. um, all sorts of things will take place <laughs> for which there is no corresponding document. They just said it is. And because they hold those files and many courts are saying, oh, these are sealed, you can't look at them, why not? This was supposed to have been a ve- public venue. Why are you hiding this? Well, to protect the, you know, the 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 elderly, per- protect them from what? You already killed them. What are you protecting them from? Because the HIPAA law. Yeah. The HIPAA law. And, That's what they use the excuse yeah. for everything. Yep. And uh, but the last place you want to end up is probate, because at that point you are non-existent. You have no rights. You can't claim the Constitution or any protections, no protection of the common law because it does not apply. And we have had probate, and they're not judges. Judges implies that you're working with the law. They're hearing examiners or ministerial clerks, and they are employed Mm -hmm. by the same agencies that are coming against you. And that's who they're drawing a paycheck from. So they're not going to turn against their employer. And um, But they will provide all the cover that these people, we've had them tell people, if you mention the Constitution again, I'll put you in jail for contempt. You don't have any rights in here. You have only what I tell you you have, which is this is a tribunal. It is not a court of law. It's a tribunal. And they run by code, regulation, statutes that they create themselves to benefit them. And... Um, but once you're captive in there, like I say, you cease to exist. You're no longer a living, breathing human being. You are mm-hmm. simply something that is taking chattel. up space. Yes. Yes. Right. You become chattel. Um, I, I want to move on because there was another um, question that somebody else had brought forward. Um, I, the fam- your family member has been off of pain medication for over 24 hours, and they're not responding, so it must not be the drugs, it is the dying process. Not necessarily. Uh, Even being off of medication for 24 hours many times is not near enough time for the body to process and clear that mess out. So you will suffer the effects and that stuff keeps circulating in the system until it dissipates, if it ever does. So that that doesn't mean that they're... This is one... This is one of the lies that hospice will tell you, and, you know, the point is you cannot believe, you know, you can't believe anything they tell you. 
You have to question everything. And if you don't question it right to them, you need to go look it up or, you know, contact, um, you know, one of these like um, halovoice.org or, you know, come to our group Murder by Hospice. If you have questions about things, question it. Like Michelle was saying earlier, if you've got a red flag and you have a gut feeling that something doesn't sound right, then you need to question it immediately. And Marty's right, 24 hours, 48 hours, 72. Keep your person off of those drugs and see if they come back. We just had in our group a young lady who her dad is in the hospital. She found our group in time, and she has now taken her dad off of morphine, off of Ativan, and they wanted to put him on fentanyl also. As of Sunday, he is awake and he recognizes her, and he's squeezing her hand. Prior to that, he was, they had already put him into a coma. So you cannot just trust everything that they tell you. So 24 hours is not enough time to get drugs out of your system. And if somebody is asleep and you come in there and you're giving them more morphine and more Ativan because they say, Oh, if I don't give this to them, I'm going to be chasing the pain. And you don't want your loved one to be in pain now, do you? Well, and that's exactly what they said to me. Yes. And I sat for 20 hours and put that crap in his mouth, excuse my language, and he eventually died. And I have to live every day knowing that if I knew then what I know now, he'd probably still be sitting here next to me. Right. But I I trusted them. They count they on our dying. ignorance. That's right. And Marty went to a, just was going to be a volunteer, a hospice volunteer, and Marty, tell them what they told you. We were in a, like an orientation. This has been several years back. And there was, I would guess, at least 50 of us in there. And it was just as a volunteer for hospice. And they had a registered nurse up there talking, and she's talking about what you would encounter, blah, 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 blah. And then she said, she said, now when it gets down to it and we start giving the shots to bring this to a swift end, she said, what you tell the family is, you don't want them to suffer, do you? Do you? And then you give them the shot. She said, and the thing is, because they have withheld food and water, four days and the organs start shutting down which is very painful oh say they're suffering you don't want them to suffer do you never mind that we caused that suffering and the mm-hmm. other one is they forgot how to swallow we can't even feed them because they were well okay so you can't feed or put water in their mouth how about a hydration pick we can't do that why not why not why can't you do it well because you call futility of care, that's why. And But they'll tell the family this. At this point in this orientation, I thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I got up and left, and several other people followed me out. Um, the coldness, the calculatedness of it, and yeah. telling people to say that, you know, with this over-dramatization, they forgot how to swallow and how important it was to emphasize how sad and tragic this was when, in fact, what they had done to them made it impossible for them to swallow it, dampened the sympathetic nervous system. And 
Yeah, well, they did that to Why John. We... That was the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Go no on it. Go ahead. That, that that was the very first thing they did when they took him, when they admitted him to the room. We walked into the room, and it said, "No water or nothing by mouth. No water or food." And he asked why. He was alert and oriented times three. His lungs were clear. They didn't even do a swallow screen, but they denied him water and food for the last five days yeah. of his life, even though he repeatedly yep. asked for it. Yep. He yep. repeatedly asked for something to drink and was perfectly capable of swallowing. But that's well, the very we had thing, a, first thing they did. Yeah. We had a lady um, in Pennsylvania here a few years back who took a spray bottle with water to see her mother, whose tongue was swollen and hard from dehydration, and she was spraying water into her mouth, hydrating her mouth, and her mother started to kind of revive. They arrested her, put her in jail. And um, we've, had, we've had people arrested for bringing food. Uh, they wouldn't feed them, or they'd bring a tray and set it outside the floor on the door on the floor, the person couldn't get out of bed. They come back later, pick up the tray, um, or they set it on the nightstand away from the bed. The person couldn't reach it. They said, "Well, if you're not going to eat, um, this is what I'm saying. Who these people are that work in these places, we need to take a really good, close look at them because they are something other than the rest of us. I truly believe that. I'm not saying that for effect. I truly believe that they are something other than the rest of us." They lack empathy, sympathy, love, mm-hmm. and, and they don't have the normal feelings that the rest of us have. And somehow they have managed to find these people. And somehow, for some reason or other, to be put in this position of, like, say, a nurse, these people go power crazy. Apparently having control over someone else's life is just, you know, it's it's like... I don't even know what to say, but it's like they go insane. And how do you do this every day, every day, cause this much misery and pain, not just to the victim, but to the families? How do you do this and go home like nothing happened, come back the next day and do it again? How do you do this? I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. No, I couldn't do that. No. I I couldn't, you know, no, there's no way. But it's like it, there, is, a, there is something missing. There's something missing yes. in someone who can do that. And, you know, and I, I have said that all hospices are not bad, and there are some good hospices. I don't know which ones they are. I would not recommend any. But for me personally, I, I, would, not, I would not go to hospice when my dad died a year ago he did not go to hospice. I kept him here with me. Was it easy? No, it was horrendous. I still have nightmares from it, but my dad died naturally, and I did you know, give him droplets of water because he, mm-hmm. he couldn't. In his case, he couldn't swallow anymore. He just he, he wouldn't eat. He, wouldn't, he, he did. The voluntary stopped eating and drinking, and he had dementia, and he wanted to go. He wanted to die, yeah. but... I was not going to start doping him up and you know to do that but it's never easy but I would never me personally I would never go to hospice now sometimes if someone feels the need to because they have cancer or their loved one does and they want to minimize pain and they know their loved one's going to die within days not months days and you go 
but then you watch the drugs because you want your loved one, as long as they're not in pain, you want them to spend that time with you. You want to hold their hand. You want to sing to them, you know, read the Bible to them if that's what they want. You know, talk about, you know, your childhood. Ask them questions about their childhood. That's those precious time that you still have with them. Don't let hospice take that away from you. So if you have no. to go to hospice, you still keep control, and you don't let them drug your loved one into a coma and hasten their death. Just don't do it. Yeah. Yep. So. Well, and that's the thing. You know, people, and I've run into too many people who think for some reason they are obligated to go along with this. and Or they'll take them, well, what are you going to do? Well, if you sit there, you're not going to do anything. Now, you may not prevail in the end, but don't let this slide by unnoticed. No. Um, you need to out these people whenever possible. Uh, you look like at, at the Halo site and stuff. These people aren't lying. You can tell by what they're saying that the misery, the grief is palpable. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Um, and, and it's thousands of people. It's, it's you know, it's yes. not onesies or twosies. It's every single day. And yes. they're just, you know, they're trying to enroll more and more people. And it isn't just because they have cancer. There was a site um, that recently I ran across. It's called Hospice Awareness. And they have that, the Facebook group. And they say, you know, we want to, you know, there's a misunderstanding about hospice. You know, people think it's only for people who are actively dying and have cancer. But, you know, we're there for you at other times and enroll, and we can take care of other illnesses. It's for anybody who is ill. Please tell everybody. So we had yeah. people on there that were asking, you know, my you know, Dad, this is happening with my mom, and, you know, what do I do? So I went on, and, and I said, how to avoid hospice, you know, period. And I told him yes. my mom's story. Um, we have background noise from somebody. I'm not sure what, but yeah. it sounds like pans banging around. But, um, and I told them that, and I said for them, did you take Kimberly offline? No. Okay. I'm still here, ladies. I'm listening. I didn't want to interrupt. Okay. Okay. But um, I just didn't know if you were there, if you were there or not. Okay. But, Thank you. Um, so I had asked, you know, in there I had told them, you know, maybe you should check out Murder by Hospice Group, and a couple other people had done it. Well, there's this one person in there, and she was attacking back and was very upset with me. Why are you on here telling them that? It's dangerous for you to tell them that hospice is not good. Hospice is compassion. It's a wonderful place. Well, I looked at her profile. She's one of these death doula peoples, and she goes and does grief counseling and does seminars and – uh, meditation. Well, of course, she wants people to enroll in hospice. She's making money off of their death, and then teaching them how to deal with the grief that they have because their loved one was murdered, but they don't really realize it. So, my question to her was, if you know, this is a hospice awareness. That's what you call your site, hospice awareness. All I'm doing is giving them the other side and let them hear both sides and let them make a decision based on fact and not just you tell them, oh, hospice is wonderful and compassionate. But she didn't want them to know that. And and that's the problem. People don't know until it's too late and your loved one is gone. 
Our goal is yeah. to let you know the facts. You make your own decision. If you still decide that's for you, then that's your choice. But at least you do it based on fact and not their fiction and not their lies and manipulation. Wow. Right. That's people very do see people, if, if, if they go to visit someone, especially at home in hospice, and they're lying in the bed and they're not moving and they're not writhing in pain and they're not this and they're not that, and they think, oh, well, don't they look peaceful? But they don't realize that they're unconscious because they've been drugged that way. It's not a disease. Yes. It's the drugs. Right. Yes. And right. when well, that nurse said to me, you know, he's not going to make it through the night. Even with that abuse, he lasted 12, 20 hours with the, yeah. those drugs being put in his mouth. So without the drugs, who knows how long he could have lasted. But if somebody had come in and looked at him, he certainly did look peaceful. But even if he well, was yeah. dying, we were denied a goodbye. He was denied right. any choice of staying his own death because they started drugging him. <laughs> right, right. Well, and Liz, I want you to jump in here because one of the things that I didn't realize until you were telling your story about your husband is that when you came into the room after they had already drugged him and you didn't know this and they made you sign papers before they even let you see him, when you came in the room, he could not see you. His eyes were open, but he said, asked Liz, is that you, because he couldn't see you. Yeah, so that had never happened before. Um, he heard my voice, you know, but of course he couldn't see me. And I had, well, after he died, I looked up the drugs, and, and that's one of the things. And a band, um, they can cause that. So, I mean, they put him to sleep as soon as he got there. Um, there were people in the room, they were talking, he was out. And I had not realized that. Um, and so they lied to me about everything. I asked over and over about these drugs. I was, you know, no, he's dying. Well, he wasn't dying before he was put on the drugs. Right. He was walking around, talking, eating. Um, he only had anxiety. And, you know, you asked the question, what, when the doctor says, you know, you need hospice, well, you need to say no. You need to use your right to refuse and realize that can you tell the doctor that you want to continue with your health care. People don't understand. When you go into hospice, you give up that health care. When you're going to get Ativan, morphine, and a host of other drugs, Haldol, which they gave him with that with for no reason. They gave him morphine for no pain. Um, you know, and even the doctor, you know, I was I was so upset. He fell the first night. Um, that's why he was there, because I was afraid he was going to fall. He had fallen before. But um, So the next day I come in, and he's laying there unconscious with his mouth open. I was so upset. I said, you've over-medicated him. Well, the doctor came in, the social worker came in, the nurses came in, and they're telling me, well, it could be the tumor. No, it wasn't the tumor. Well, he's dying, and they kept telling me, well, you can't accept it, and, and all of this nonsense. So, I mean, it's, it's not health care anymore. No. It, it's death care. It's a culture of death that has infiltrated our health care system, 
They're going to extract everything they can from us uh, until, you know, there's nothing left. Or, and even people that are not terminal get put into hospice, and they're dead too. How do they die, you know? Um, but it's all about money, and it's all about getting rid of it. You know, they, they want to save the health care dollars, you know, so they office. But yet, you know, we have money for war. How does that work? So it's, you know, it's it's a very important but horrifying at the same time. So my advice would to be was just research everything. You know, don't take this this one's word for it or that one's word for it. Because as I said, I was lied to repeatedly. Right. I trusted. We all trusted. We all. And now we, we all trusted. Well, well, and that's um, the the, uh, the money yeah. that you're talking about. Um, Michelle, I want you to jump in here for a second, Michelle. We're, we're almost out of time. But Michelle's book, is the, na- the title of it is Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. Absolutely. And that's yes. what they do. Michelle, this jump is- in. Yeah. Well, that is what they do. I, and it's almost condoned by our own government. Because going back to what Marty spoke about earlier with Medicare um, and Social Security, I mean Social Security, anyone of age, look at your Social Security statements and like for mine, they blatantly say, although we owe you X amount, we'll only be able to pay you like 70% of what we owe you because there isn't Social Security anymore. It's, it, it's basically a bankrupt system. And how to correct that is to get rid of those that are, in their eyes, no longer um, useful to society. We're a drain on society now. Um, But, again, it's just, if you have to use hospice, I don't personally think, you know, all the hospices are bad. Because hospices aren't just, isn't just one organization or under one umbrella. They're like hospitals. Good hospital, bad hospital. Good doctors, bad. Um, but they have, like the other per, um, panel person said, is the culture now we have come to that it's uh, acceptable. It's acceptable to depopulate. And it's, um, that's we're we're we we aren't arriving. We've already arrived at that. Yeah, uh, we're we're there. We're in the middle of it. Um, okay, we have one little over one minute left. Marty. Yes. Okay, yes. I'm giving you a minute. <laughs> okay, give me a minute. Okay. Um, for Try to stay out of probate. Uh, if they recommend hospice, refuse it, uh, because the next thing you're going to do is plan a funeral if they don't discard your pre-standing agreements on funerals. And this was something else we found, too, that – in many of these cases, they would kill them in hospice, and then the family wouldn't be notified for three weeks or a month, and come to find out that uh, they claim they've cremated them. We think what they actually did was parted them out and sold the parts. Um, mm-hmm. like I say they've learned how to make money off of us even in death. Avoid these people at all costs and get as many people around you as you can if you're engaged with them. Right. Get, have an yeah. advocate. And everybody should have yes. a medical power of attorney and halovoice.org. 
you can go to them. They have a sample one that you can take off and modify it for yourself. So um, I hope the listeners have gathered something, you know, from what we've been talking about tonight. We had other topics, but um, as I suspected, two hours would be gone in a flash, and uh, we would still have other other things. So we might, you know, have another devil's advocate debate um, in the future, but that more than likely will be next year because we only have a couple more shows this year before we close down the middle of uh, December. So yeah. um, we will see you back in two weeks. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, yep. Michelle. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Kimberly. So, and thank, thank you to you. our audience. for our listeners. So good night, and we'll be back in two weeks. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody.